The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman, here with my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder. And uh, I promise I'll be better. I know I lost all the files for last week's episode. I'm an idiot. I fully apologize. Uh, I, I really tried to get it out. I actually had the whole thing edited. I was moving stuff between hard drives where I was just about to click upload. And uh, yeah, messed it up just a little bit so again apologies to everybody out there apologies to our patrons who you know give up your harder money uh every single month to support us that was uh my bad as the kids like to say but uh to make up for it we have a truly excellent show for you today we had a wild week 17 in the nfl the playoff picture has now narrowed to the tip of the spear we only have a few teams that are still left in contention but, uh, you know, with the NFL being as good at scheduling as they are, they're all playing each other this week, or at least they all have games that impact each other this week. So week 18 should be just as crazy. Can't wait to see what happens. But uh, before we get into recapping week 17, EJ, buddy, how you doing? And uh, what are you drinking tonight? I'm good. We're back. We've got great football on tap for the last week of the season, uh, the longest ever NFL season. Which is not always the case. Last week, a lot of times, has a bunch of dog games, a bunch of teams cutting out, resting their starters. Um, no, we've got games that absolutely are going to determine playoff spots, like games plural. So, going to be fun to talk about that. Um, lots of storylines to get through from the last week. Uh, we're not going to go back two weeks. Sorry about that. That one's lost forever. Uh, but plenty to talk about from last Sunday and looking forward really to next Sunday. What am I drinking? I made it to the store in my area that carries uh, one of my favorite Polish beers. Okay, beer. Okotim. Good stuff. Good Polish lager, 5.6 by volume. Um, started in 1845 trivia so uh that's a 16 ounce can that'll get me through most of what we have to talk about uh i hear you pouring something delicious i'm just assuming it's delicious what is it well it's winter you know me that means it's eyeless season oh so yeah. i've got my uh, my pride and joy my lagavulin 16 she never lets me down anytime i need something to warm me up 
on these uh, cold Southern California winter nights. Mm. <laughs> I always go with my Lagavulin 16. Which, by the way, uh, New Orleans weather, which is where I just was last week. That's why we couldn't just like re-record the episode and get it out. Because right when I realized that I deleted everything, it was like 12.30 in the morning. And I had to get to LAX three hours later to fly out to New Orleans for my wife's birthday. Um, so they had a little bit of a cold snap come through while we were there. When we first got there, it was 80 degrees, 85% humidity for some godforsaken reason in the middle of December. And then by the time we left, it was 35 degrees. And there was a 40 degree temperature change between Saturday and Sunday. And, uh, we, we didn't pack shorts for me. So I was walking around New Orleans, going to our Gator tour in jeans and a freaking turtleneck. I, if you could imagine a video, video, or it didn't happen. That I want to see. But uh, yeah, it reminds me a little bit of actually when we met the year we were at Senior Bowl 2020. And that's only a month later. And it's a very similar part of the country. And one of those practices was one of the coldest football practices I've ever sat through. Oh, it was frigid and windy. Yeah, we ended up going out to dinner with Danny Kelly that night at the Mexican place, and we spent literally like the first hour kind of like huddled around some warm appetizers trying to thaw our fingers out. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was freezing, so it can get pretty cold down there in the southeast during winter time. But the eighty-five percent humidity thing—oh, it was brutal! It was brutal. We packed no warm weather clothes at all because we're like, it's December, like it's New Year's, like there's no way. It's going to be warm. And then it was like July weather. And even even the people there were like, oh, this never happens. And I'm like, I came to town. Of course it would happen. You're not familiar with the Coleman curse. I, I bring hell with me everywhere I go. But uh, it was actually a, a much crazier weekend than we anticipated because it was Sugar Bowl weekend. So there was Baylor and Ole Miss people everywhere. There was a Saints home game. It was New Year's. Um if I if I knew if I did all that math ahead of time, I probably would have been like, you know what? Maybe let's not go to New Orleans when there's a million people everywhere. But hey, whatever. Food was really damn good, so in that sense, it was worth it. I had pig cooked like eight different ways, and and shrimp cooked about twenty different ways. So in that vein, New Orleans totally worth it. Yeah, one of the best food cities in the country, uh, if not the world. Just a just a fantastic city for any kind of cuisine you want but uh yeah tons of spots i know you hit some of them because i got those very mouth-watering dms at all hours and <laughs> i had the best thing i've ever eaten look at this and i'm like oh man i i had a ham sandwich that's awesome <laughs> well uh with that being said why don't we get to news and notes for the week because a lot happened in my absence and i had to spend all of monday uh watching games back that i missed this weekend and trying to see what happened and Catching up. Uh, unfortunately, note number one is negative, and that is Michael Gallup tore his ACL uh, this week. He is out for the year. He joins Chris Godwin as probably the two top-tier free agent receivers, not named Devontae Adams, uh, that, that were expected to be on the market this offseason. Both of them are now out for the year with torn ACLs. Uh, note number two, I don't know if you saw it uh, immediately, but that collapse of the railing at uh at fedex field this week by the, by the way do you see how they repaired that yeah it was zip ties 
thought it was zip ties. Hey, zip ties are strong, but uh, I like Mina Kimes' suggestion because uh, the Washington football team announced that they're going to announce their new name. And she was like, how about the Washington Fix Your Damn Stadiums? <laughs> Can't disagree. Yeah, that, seems you... a little, that seems a little expensive for Dan Snyder. Yeah, after you almost took out a quarterback of your division rival with a railing and four fans, um, not a good situation. So, Well, Jalen Hurts is, is pissed because a story came out. I think it was either – I think it was today that it came out um, that – Nobody from the stadium or the organization like checked on these people after they fell, you know, looked for injuries, offered assistance, anything like that. And like, you know, falling six feet on concrete, A, hurts a lot and B, can cause some pretty significant damage and nobody checked on them. Instead, they immediately. Did you hear what they said? Did you hear what they said to him? Oh, no, I never saw there was an actual, like, response. Yeah, No, no, not response to the letter. One of the people that fell on the field and was quoted in that story when they said, hey, did anybody come up? Did anybody from the team come up? Did anybody from emergency services come up and say, hey, are you all right? Everybody that was uh, quoted in that story said, no, they didn't. They said, get the hell off the field. Well, did you see the photographer kicked the person? Too? Oh, I missed that. That that part yeah. I didn't get, but I'm like, this is such a There was Washington a league photographer yeah. and the gate came down like sorta of on top of him and like people you know, there's a pile of bodies there and he fucking kicks one of them. We're like, what the fuck? <laughs> I like this is just such a cluster of a story. Like it shouldn't have been a story in the first place. The railing shouldn't have collapsed. Like many people have since come out saying other things about the Washington stadium. Um, the opposing um, radio crew didn't make the trip. The Eagles radio crew didn't make the trip because their lead broadcaster said, I consider that place a dump quote unquote. So they didn't even go to town. They did the radio broadcast remote, which is not at all really? typical. Yes. <laughs> which is not at all typical for those of you not familiar with NFL media, the opposing, you know, broadcast teams, always come to the stadium they always broadcast from the stadium that's a thing they're in the press box and uh the eagles radio coverage not their local tv but their radio coverage didn't make the trip they did it remote because quote unquote their lead broadcaster said i consider that place a dump um so he's not wrong yeah it's just a rough story and it's just so washington in all the right slash wrong ways like it's just it fits, and that's terrible. Well, good on Jalen Hurts, though, for writing that letter to the Washington football team and to the NFL because he, he saw that story and was like, hey, there needs to be follow-up here. Like, these people could have been seriously hurt, and he could have been seriously hurt, too. Like, can you imagine I... if the railing <laughs> fell directly on him? The first thing I thought was, did that hit his foot or his ankle? Because he kind of hops out of the way, but you couldn't quite tell. It's obviously a chaotic scene. Like, did that railing fall six feet with four people on it and land, like, on his... Can you imagine if it broke his foot? Like, literally, the Washington Stadium takes out a quarterback in their... A rival quarterback in their division in a team that's, you know, in the playoff hunt. Like, it... They're incredibly lucky. I'm really glad that no one was seriously injured. I'm not saying those people weren't injured. I have a feeling that'll come out 
later, but I'm glad that like nobody was, you know, bleeding, cracked their skull open, that Jalen didn't get the railing dropped on him. We've seen this guy up close. We got to see him at the opening press conference of the senior bowl. Really quiet guy, really thoughtful guy. Everybody that's ever played with him says great leadership. So the letter didn't surprise me at all. In fact, it seemed really in character for Jalen Hurts to say, yo, um, I was pretty shocked. I just tried to help these people, which he did. He sort of was like, are you okay? Is a decent human being thing to do. But after that, he says, yeah, so what are you going to do about this? And I expect to hear from you about this is the kicker at the end of that letter. Love it. It seemed very Jalen. Um, I'm sorry he had to be involved in the situation at all. I'm certainly sorry for the fans that fell. And, you know, to have that kind of reaction to get kicked and to have people come up and say, get the hell off the field, like, come on. Like, that's just so not the way it should have been handled. But big shout out to Jalen Hurts for doing the right thing and saying, what are you going to do about this? And I expect to hear. Uh, Well, speaking of clowns and uh, taking aim at clownish franchises, the Clownageddon is coming to Jacksonville this weekend. And let me be clear, Jacksonville, in terms of leadership in the organization, regardless of what people say, I still consider to be orders of magnitude higher than some other franchises. I think Shad Khan truly does want to put a winning product on the field. He's just made some really bad hires in the mm. process. But uh, the fans are going to let him know because as soon as they heard that Trent Baalke was staying in Jacksonville as general manager, uh, a torrent of rage and fury and clown emojis have infested Jaguars Twitter now to the point where there is a full-on campaign for Jacksonville Jaguars fans to show up en masse to the game this weekend against the Colts wearing full-on clown costumes people are ordering truckloads of of little clown noses to hand out to every other fan that doesn't dress up there's gonna be a scene in Jayville this week. Duval is pissed. They do not want Trent Balky there anymore. And I'll be honest, I think this is going to work because there's no way that Shad Khan can ignore 50,000 people with clown noses in his own stadium. You can't ignore it. I think that Balky, his days are numbered if this campaign picks up any more steam. It's, it's how you get people with a lot of money's attention. It's not by... Hurting their pocketbook because let's let's be honest, billionaires own NFL franchises and you have to do a lot to infect their bottom line financially. But ego and pride, oh, mm-hmm. that's a different chink in the armor. And people are ordering buttons. Uh, we've seen Amazon orders for fire balky buttons, uh, clown noses, full on clown getups, grease paint makeup. People are going all different levels, but it's going to be all over. It's picked up a lot of steam. The day after it was announced, if you're on Twitter, uh, certainly if you follow the two of us, you probably are. Uh, the clown emoji with the little mustache started popping up everywhere. Like, I was like, what is this? And by the end of the day, there were entire legions of jacksonville supporters duval folks who had the little clown emoji with a mustache as their icon um thousands and thousands of them and now this campaign to dress up and and sort of show out in stadium show their displeasure in a way that will definitely land uh with an owner who i think does 
want a successful product pretty badly but has stumbled on the way to get there several times this is gonna hurt like this is embarrassing like there are a lot of not great franchises the jets aren't doing great this year we've talked about the giants and all their struggles and their fan appreciation is a free medium soda and like there have been a lot of sort of pr stumbles but you're not gonna see the giant stadium packed with people in clown makeup and if we see that sunday in jacksonville it's gonna leave a mark that game is really important for a variety of reasons um visually just for that image alone i will be watching that game Mm -hmm. like let alone the fact that the colts haven't won there in like almost a decade i would tune in just to see pools full of like fully dressed up clowns you you can't get that anywhere else other than duval uh, last news and note here before we get to three up number one, I want to thank Alejandro and everybody else who joined the patron, uh, Patreon, excuse me, this week to support the show. Uh, we really couldn't do this without folks like you, you know, giving up your hard earned money to, uh, to support what we do here. So again, thank you. And also remember this, this Saturday. Yeah. J- this Saturday, January 8th. Oh my God. It's finally here. We are doing the, uh, bootleg holiday round table. Since everybody is now free on Saturdays and can join us for that, it'll be noon Pacific time for everybody in the top two levels of the Patreon. That is the uh, Hall of Fame level and the Ring of Honor level. And you could just come hang out with us for an hour and a half before the games start that day because there are playoff games starting at least 1.30. Uh, it'll be 90 minutes long starting at noon. It's kind of like a pregame, you know, Q&A, whatever really you want to make of it type stream for uh, for all our patrons. Hope you guys show up. And uh, remember, also as patrons, you guys get merch discounts. So you could check that over at uh, bootlegfootballpodcast.com. All the merch that you want to look through. If you feel like you like anything, 20% off for all patrons. So check that out as well. And uh, with that being said, let's get to probably, at least in my opinion, both the most entertaining and the most impactful game of the week in terms of playoff ramifications because the Kansas City Chiefs are now on the back foot. They are no longer the number one seed in the AFC because of those dastardly Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow taking them down. It was a hell of a game for a lot of reasons. I know, I know Chiefs fans, you're going to scream about refs and a missed false start and a, a hands-to-the-face penalty in the end zone. You feel like you got cheated out of an opportunity to come back and maybe win. I get that. But I'll tell you what. If you didn't give up literally a billion yards to Jamar Chase, you probably would have had a better chance to win in the first place. They were up by two touchdowns, not once but twice. They put up 28 points in the first half. They were firmly in control of the game. And they let Cincy come back. And this is something that I think we've seen far too many times from the Chiefs where they explode early, defenses adjust, they start shutting them down the second half, and then for whatever reason, Kansas City historically, a lot of times, runs out of steam. And I think going up against an explosive or an equally explosive offense that can just kind of stay with them and weather that early first half storm that Kansas City historically puts up on people... If they can just stay within striking range, usually in the second half, uh, you know, Kansas City starts to falter a little bit, in my experience. Look back at last year, the Tampa Bay game. Again, similar kind of thing. They put up, I think it was also 28 points in the first half. 
just completely wrecked the Buccaneers. Buccaneers made some changes in the second half defensively, made it a game by the end of the fourth quarter. I mean, that was a very, very close game by the last five minutes. The difference was Tampa last year wasn't kind of keeping up on offense in the first half, so there was just it was too much of a gap to overcome in the second half. Whereas Kansas City, uh, you know, went into halftime. Uh, this time it was only a nine point game. You know, Bengals were able to keep up with them pretty well and just kind of stay within striking distance so that they could come back in the second half. So this game to me kind of reinforced some of the concerns that I've had with the Chiefs over the last couple years in terms of inconsistency. And I think it also reinforced, uh, reinforced, excuse me, my feelings on uh, Cincinnati's offense, which is you can be schematically perfect. You can have structurally the right call in place. But I'll tell you what, unless you have three Pro Bowl corners, you're probably still not going to hold them down forever because their receivers are, versus 99% of the teams out there, their receivers are just better than you. And I think that showed up. Yeah, this for me really reinforced a couple things, and you touched on it at the top, which is, Jamar Chase was absolutely the right pick for this team this year. And there was absolutely. a lot of, there was a lot of debate. And look, Cincinnati still needs offensive line help. A lot of it. It showed up in this game. But that doesn't invalidate their pick of Chase. In fact, this game validated their pick of Jamar Chase because this game came down to Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. And Jamar Chase changes Cincinnati's ability to keep up with explosive teams. He can flip the tables at a moment's notice. He did it in the first half to keep them close and not be buried by Kansas City or anybody else's onslaught. Oh, yeah, you can do that? We can do that right now, too. Watch. Bam. 65, 70 yards. We got ours. What do you got? And they did it all game. I put out a tweet that said, the Bengals are now like the boxer that can take a punch. Mm -hmm. Right? They're not being down a score, being down two scores. That's okay. We got ours. Watch this. Bam. And it's Jamar Chase. Like, T. Higgins, really good. Tyler Boyd, excellent as a third receiver. Jamar Chase is the guy. You can throw it to Jamar Chase on any play, and it's a bit like Tyreek Hill was a couple of years ago. He could score from anywhere, anytime, and just bury you. And that changes the entire complexion of Cincinnati, their ability to respond, how dangerous they are in the playoffs, whether or not they're a Super Bowl contender, and I don't say that lightly. Like, he is the guy. And that long reception in the first half that got them back in the running and made it a game before halftime was absolute evidence that things have changed. And look, if this is a year ago, last year's Bengals, or two years ago, certainly, forget it, Kansas City's not worried about the refs. They're not worried about Cincinnati. This is a write-off game. This is a rest-our-starters game. Pre-Burrow, pre-Chase, this is not a worry. Burrow, okay, maybe, but he still doesn't have enough weapons, let's be honest. Burrow plus this year, Chase. Burrow plus <laughs> Chase. Oh, this hey, year. we need some calls, right? Because we're going we're gonna, to, as you said, not even make some mistakes. We're going to get burned by that we're going to give up some long touchdowns even though schematically man for man we were in a decent position Mina Kimes put up the dots of when Chase caught the ball and said he just posted up 
<laughs> Jamar Chase turned this into a touchdown. He's surrounded by yeah. four Kansas City defenders. Like, that's the X factor. That's the difference. And that makes these Bengals a completely different team. So in terms of Chase or Sewell, like, Chase all day long after this game. He makes them a legitimate threat. And again, we talked about it last week on the Lost Podcast. They talked about it on the broadcast. They called it the baby Bengals. Basically, five Bengals starters on offense, the skill positions, who are all under 25. They're not going anywhere. They're going to be around. Two of them are 25. Two of them are less than that. And, you know, one of them's really young. Like, you got Mixon and Burrow both at 25. You got Chase. You got T. Higgins. You got Tyler Boyd. And, you know, Uzama's a decent tight end on top of that, a sixth offensive threat like six guy yeah this is not a team that's going anywhere and they are built for boat racing and track meets and that's the modern passing nfl they're going to be around they're going to be a factor they won their division for the first time in forever this was a team that people including us said "Eh, you know they're probably coming up they're going to be like mid i don't think they're going to win the afc north but they're going to compete this year uh they're going to go farther than that, folks. And this was the scenario that Bengals fans were hoping for when they took Burrow first overall. 100%. Which was within two years, they're in contention for the first seed in the AFC. There's still plausible scenarios that they that they get the first seed. I was actually looking at it earlier today. I'll pull it up right now because I didn't even realize it was still possible right. until I read this. But... Going into this week, they can get the number one seed, which they're they're ten and six right now. They can go eleven and six. If they win, Tennessee loses, which they've already lost to Houston this year. It's not that crazy. Tennessee loses, and Kansas City loses, and New England loses. Mm. New England against Miami, eh. Kansas City against Denver, eh. Like it's not <laughs> impossible. It's not it's likely, not impossible. but it's not it's impossible. not likely. Yeah. But if you told me going into, you know, going into this season that like, hey, it's week 18 and the Bengals have like a non-zero chance of getting the first seed if stuff breaks their way. Oh, and by the way, they just clinched the AFC North by beating Kansas City. I would have thought you were crazy. And now look at us. Fully agree. This is a this is a sea change. We knew that Burrow had the juice before he hurt his knee last year. He made enough plays regularly behind zero offensive line help while getting massacred to make you think, nope, this guy's it. They got their quarterback. We said that last year on the podcast. Nope, they didn't make a mistake. They got their guy. They can now go forward and build around him. So this is absolutely the scenario that Bengals fans were hoping for. They were hoping we were right. They were hoping that Cincinnati would add weapons. They did both those things. They added a not just a weapon. Like, we need to talk about the fact that Jamar Chase is giving Justin Jefferson a little garbage about breaking his year-old record. And he said, oh, no, I'm going to rip him about it. I'm going to call him up, make sure he knows I did it. Like, you know, they're good-natured. But still, like, they didn't just get a weapon. They got a guy that's, like, what, in the top 10 in receiving in the NFL as a rookie? Might be top five. He's he's creeping like, up after that game. I mean, it's so but funny. It's not even like Julio Jones numbers where he puts up a million yards and like three touchdowns. It's like, oh, by the way, he also has double-digit touchdowns. Like, he does everything. Yeah, can score from anywhere on the field, can pick up a key first down, contested catch, outrun defensive backs. Like, this is not 
a guy that's good. This is a guy in the Justin Jefferson mold, and I don't say that lightly because I think that guy's a top five receiver in the NFL overall in his second season. They got that guy. Like there's, we say there's a lot of receivers available and there are, and there's very good ones that can fill roles. There's not a lot of those guys. Those guys are rare. When Devontae Adams looks at a Justin Jefferson and says, no, no, he's, he's a guy I watch. He's doing it the right way. Like he's farther along at his point than I was at mine in, in year two. You listen, cause Devontae Adams is clearly the best receiver in the NFL. He's people are going to say the same thing if they're not already about Jamar Chase really quickly. They got that guy. And that's not a guy you get at 28. That's not a guy you get, you know, second round, third round, unless you're extremely lucky or there's something else going on. That's a guy you get in the top 10. They got him there. He's making the difference he's supposed to. And it is a completely different team because of it. I'm just, I'm really excited to see how far this Bengal team goes. Because I, I really think that the key to being like an actual Super Bowl contender is quarterback and weapons. If you got those two things, you know, even if you just have an average defense, you can win. Like Kansas City didn't win the Super Bowl because of, you know, Steve Spagnolo holding down Jimmy Garoppolo. They won it because... Pat Mahomes retreated 14 yards behind the line of scrimmage and threw a crazy-ass ball on Wasp to Tyree Kill. And, you know, Travis Kelsey making plays. And, like, that's that's why they won. Like, obviously, the defense helps. And the defense in the regular season this year, you know, was able to help Kansas City survive long enough for the offense to get back on track. But Steve Spagnuolo's defense is not why people consider Kansas City a frontrunner. It's Mahomes. It's Tyreek. It's Kelsey, it's Andy Reid, it's all those guys. So if you want to be an actual contender for a Super Bowl, you need to have a quarterback and you need to have weapons. And Cincinnati's got that. So as far as I'm concerned, they're in it. Like they're in that group of like, not just, oh, they're one and done. Or, oh, it, you know, it's a feel good story. They made it. It's like, oh no, shit. Like they're, they're real. Like they can do this thing. You know, Burrow, he's a serial killer. Jamar Chase, he's a freak. Higgins, He's a monster. Boyd, best number three in the league. Mixon, freak. And by the way, the defense is at least average. Interesting fact. If I asked you where they are in sacks as a team, what number rank would you say they are in sacks? Cincinnati. Not a huge sack team. Well, it seems like every time I watch them, I see that defensive line all over people. So got to be top 10. The Titans and the Bengals have the same number of sacks. They're tied for 10th. If I'd said really? that to you, yeah. If I'd said that to you before the season, you would have been like, well, I don't know. Bengals are all right, but like the Titans line is really good. That's the thing. It's like that, that, they're sneaky in so many different ways. Yeah, and they got Jesse the Bates. gets a lot of the publicity, but. Yeah, and they're hanging Bates out. Bates is like, tremendous. Bates yeah. is tremendous in the back end. They've gotten really good play out of their corners, including free agents. The linebackers, we really like. They invested heavily in linebackers last year. Um, some of those guys have been injured. Jermaine Pratt didn't play in this game. Um, so there's, yeah, they're good enough on defense and on offense. If they're clicking right now, no one wants to play them. Like, no defensive coordinator in their right mind is like, and oh, yeah, give I'll me that. I bet you Kansas City doesn't either because, remember, I brought up that Tampa game in the regular season last year. Well, when they faced Tampa again, Tampa just did the thing they did in the second half over again, and they fucking killed them. 
Like, yeah, we could talk about offensive line injuries for Kansas City, but, like, schematically, they couldn't do anything. Mm -hmm. Like, it wasn't just a protection issue. Nobody was open. And I worry that the Bengals, who in the first half did the thing that really, really bothers me, that teams do against Kansas City, is they sit there in a single high structure and they say, we're in cover three. And then they they dare Pat to not just hit endless crossing routes and deep sevens and all that kind of stuff. And they, they got murdered in the first half. Absolutely murdered because they just sat there in single high structures and Pat was throwing bombs down the field. And then in the second half, they adjusted. What I worry about for Kansas City is if they have to play Cincinnati again, they're just going to take that second half game plan, just like Tampa did, put it in the first half and say, now what you got? Can you beat us when we're in quarters? Can you beat us when we're we're in cover two? You know, can you beat us when we're showing too high and then coming down to one cross and trapping you over the middle? What do you got? Historically speaking, Kansas City has struggled against those kind of looks. They've gotten a little bit better this year, but they're still not, like, amazing. What do they got? And I worry about Kansas City. I really do. Obviously, Mahomes is amazing. Tyreek, Kelsey, all of them, like, they're all they're all top tier for a reason. But this has been a problem for years now. And I feel like if the Bengals come with the exact same adjustment, it might not be as close as it was this time. It's going to be, this This is why I'm excited about the football that's left this year. Uh, week 18 and, and into the playoffs, first round, second round. There, there are going to be matchups. There are going to be stories. And having followed it as closely as we have from early in the spring and summer, doing divisional previews on through the preseason, all 18 weeks of the season, there's so many storylines. Health is going to play a huge factor, as it always does. Injuries, COVID. Um, Chris Collinsworth made a really good point on the, on the Monday Night Broadcast about tell me who's playing. Right. Tell me who's playing and I'll tell you who I think is going to win. <laughs> oh, OK. <laughs> you know, he's right. Um, so it's it's interesting, but there's going to be so many good angles. And honestly, I hope we've we've illuminated some of those where you're going to see the story behind the story or the matchup behind the matchup, the scheme on scheme, coordinator versus coordinator, the, the sort of second layer. If, if we've done any of that for you, if we've brought any of those storylines to your attention that you're going to watch a little bit more closely or with a little bit more information as you go in and that ups your enjoyment, then, then what we're doing is worth it. Uh, why don't we get to three up number two, keep it with the AFC West. Uh, the Raiders, will not die. A few weeks ago, we talked about how they it was the same old song and dance out in Vegas, start strong, f- you know, flounder down the stretch. It looked like it was going to be the exact same thing, and all of a sudden they won, and then they won again, and then they just beat the Colts, and we're like, wait a minute. The Raiders, who were absolutely left for dead two weeks ago, like if they mathematically had a chance, but I was like, there's no way like they're, they're, they're out. They're in a win and in scenario all of a sudden. Cause they just beat Indy handily. And like, when you watch that game, I know the score was close, but there was some stuff that went Indy's way in that game. That is not, uh, what's the word sustainable. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is a legitimate scenario now where the Raiders can, force their way back in the playoffs 
when literally less than a month ago, I was like, there's absolutely no chance they're, they're out. Yeah, this is the zombie Raiders team. This is the team that won't die. They keep getting knocked down. They keep getting up and dragging on. And to do it against a Colts team that, you know, had more momentum, certainly, than they did three weeks ago, it is a sort of turn of fortune that I don't think either one of us would have predicted. We said, oh, they've, you know, they've got to win this week or they're out. They didn't win that week, but they won the next week. And we're kind of like, well, all right, well, at least they, they turned it around. They didn't just go on a straight skid for the end of the year. But now they've set up, I don't know, one of the most dramatic games of the season, which is literally the last game of the regular season. It's the Sunday night game versus the Chargers, and it's a win-and-in scenario game. Like, it's a super meaningful game, and this team will not die. I'm going to, until further notice, I'm going to call them the Zombie Raiders because they have suffered (laughs) every possible injury this year every possible scenario the firing of their coach stuff off the field stuff on the field their regular slide you know going forward under interim leadership like they have every excuse to just fold their tents and say nope we're gonna make vacation plans nope they're out there beating teams that a month ago we were like these guys are the guys that are going to be nipping at the heels of a, a playoff spot the colts are going to be that team they beat the Colts, and now they can beat the Chargers, who've been up and down. Chargers had a decisive win this week, but have been up and down in the last few weeks. Again, it's not impossible that the Raiders are going to work their way into the playoffs. And I feel like there's a couple of teams in the NFL like this this year. The Eagles were a team that everybody wrote off and were like, nah, mm-mm, new staff, young team. They don't know how to win. Like, here we are at the end of the season, and like, the Eagles have their shot. Like, there are just these teams that will not the Steelers like the Steelers could make the playoffs. Dude, I, I cannot believe right that, that is a have you have you seen everything that has to go right? Oh, no, yeah. Like, no, it's help. it's they not a help. good chance. But again, if I told you three weeks ago that the Steelers could still be in the playoff hunt at this point in the season, you would have been like, ah, that plea, that team's playing terribly. Ben is cooked. Like, there is no possible way. There's literally a possible way that the Steelers could make the playoffs. Am I saying they're gonna? No, I'm not. (laughs) I will not be putting my money on that chance. But, like, the Raiders, the Steelers, the Eagles, these are teams that a lot of people piled on midseason and said, nah, they they don't have what it takes. They're not going to be there at the final gun. Literally, going into last week of the season, all three of those teams – they're, you they're know what's there. what's hilarious about it though is so if the Steelers beat the Ravens, which considering all the Ravens injuries, not that hard to imagine. The Ravens are super beat up. And then if the uh if the clown again somehow takes a toll on Indy <laughs> and they lose again in Jacksonville, somehow. Not saying it'll happen, but it's let's just say it does. You know how the Steelers can still be eliminated? I no. Theoretically, if the Colts lose in Jacksonville, yes, the Raiders and the Chargers can just kneel tie. every play yep. and tie, and they both go to the playoffs, which would then eliminate Pittsburgh. If the Raiders and the Chargers play a real game and one of them wins, then the Steelers make it in if they win and the Colts lose. So... Yeah. 
You want to hear? They a could really... theoretically just do that and and completely screw the Steelers. You want to hear a really funny story about that? Huh? Football history. So this scenario has happened before. I believe it happened in the Ivy League. And it was really? yeah, it was a situation a very long time ago where both teams would benefit from basically nothing happening, right? <laughs> so get this. One team possessed the ball for the first half and the second half, the second team possessed the ball. And you know what it was the birth of? The four-minute offense. <laughs> the down structure what? in modern football. Oh, so we're talking like long time. What, right. did they just move it a yard and a half, a yard at a they time or something like that? Kept it. And then they were like, well, we can't have that again, so we need a down structure. Like, you need to go so far in each play to actually... So it's That's amazing. a long time ago, but uh, it would be fascinating to see the Raiders and the Chargers get noticed that like that scenario was in play and go, hey, guys, uh, we both benefit if we do this. So she's taking you every time. Pun Dude, it. that would be an all time Sunday night broadcast of just <laughs> Chris know, and Al tap dancing for an hour and a half. You know what I would rotating meals is like huh. a live cam on the sports books in Vegas. <laughs> oh god. That, I mean, how, how I don't how do you even handle that? <laughs> yeah, like there would be a lot of that going That's on. Millions prime, of dollars. Primetime TV. Well, they're just kneeling down. Nobody gets any yards. God, I hope it happens. I hope the Colts lose so bad. I just want to see it happen. I really Not don't. that I dis- dislike the Colts, but I just no, I want to see I that. No, but I really don't think even though that's the scenario, I don't think they can turn it off. Like NFL coaches, executives, players, they're wired. This is a meritocracy. Wins matter for contracts, for being around next year, for, you know, being renewed, how people look at you. Like wins is the currency in the NFL. I don't think anybody could give one up like and just go. Unless you're Doug Peterson and you intentionally throw a game to eliminate your division rival. Which is a whole nother scenario that we'll talk about on a different show, but fascinating stuff out of Raiders Colts. Um, you know, the game itself was pretty interesting, and the Raiders showed guts. Like they didn't get handed this one, right? They made plays down the stretch, um, and they made it happen. And I, I don't know. I'm impressed. This Raiders team has has gone through pretty much everything this year. And again, they've got a shot late, and it's because they earned it. They kept grinding. And uh, on the other side, I do want to say, I'm I'm a little bit worried about the Colts' ability to win the Super Bowl because, as I said earlier, it is a quarterback and weapons league, and their quarterback right now is not playing anywhere near the Burrows, the Mahomeses. You know, obviously the Brady's and the Rod, like that's not even a discussion. Like it's a it's a different sport that we're talking about here in terms of the passing game for the Indianapolis Colts versus every other top contending team. If you stop Jonathan Taylor, even if you just remotely slow down Jonathan Taylor, this offense is dead. Like you look at Wentz on third down in this game, they went three for eleven. 
on third down. And he was missing dudes wide open. It's not even like, oh, it was pressure and the offensive line. Like, no, Wentz had some clean pockets and he was straight up missing people. Third and 14, throws it into the bleachers over Pascal's head. You know, third and eight had T.Y. open by 15 yards and a coverage bust. Missed him for an easy touchdown. His one touchdown of the day, 45-yarder, which was like a third of his yardage for the entire afternoon. It was first and 10, and he threw up a prayer ball for no reason that was literally in the hands of a Raiders DB at the goal line. And then his buddy was also trying to go for it, knocked it out of his hand, went up in the air, T.Y. caught it for a touchdown. That was an interception. Like, it was a bad ball. And he just happened to get a touchdown out of it. This isn't sustainable. Like, this is bad. No, it's really bad. And the point you made is is the point that we've been hammering on all year, two years, as long as we've been around, which is in the modern NFL, you need to be able to pass the ball. And if you're going to pass the ball well and efficiently, it starts with two things. It starts with a head coach and or offensive coordinator. A lot of times those are mixed these days, again, because of the importance and a quarterback that can execute and can make plays even when there aren't plays there. And if you have those two things, you've got a chance in this league. And you can look at last year's playoffs, right? Last year's final four was Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Pat Mahomes, and Josh Allen. Uh, okay. <laughs> like all four of those teams have something in common, which is a top flight passer and if you go to the round before that you throw in the saints they had breeze you throw in browns who had a healthy mayfield who was on a run you throw in lamar for the ravens uh and then you throw in you know jared goff for the rams before the stafford trade like again still six out of the eight have like really good passers and Wentz a month ago teased everybody and had a couple of those games that looked like primetime wins and everybody went to ha chris ballard frank reich they were right they went out bargain basement they got Wentz. he's doing it he's gonna round in a form and he's gonna propel this offense but i'm with you if you stack the box right now and just challenge them to run taylor into that all day Wentz cannot beat you you can stack eight maybe eight and a half in the box right now and go go for it big guy and you're not going to lose because he is not making opposing defenses pay in the way that he was a month ago. And that will peter out. When you say it's not sustainable, they will hit a point, probably early in the playoffs, where they come up against somebody that isn't like that. A Mahomes, a Burrow, an Allen, a Brady, a whoever, and they're going to get wiped out. Like, the defense is really good for the Colts. It's not that good. They're going to get wiped out. I just I have this like impending sense of dread that <laughs> that they're gonna go up against a team that has firepower. That com- yeah, ha- like, like the Bengals. Yeah, Bengals Colts today. If that happened, like again, I like the Colts defense. They don't have anybody that can cover Jamar Chase. Yeah. They they cannot keep up with the Bengals through the air at all. And like, that's- unless unless Jonathan Taylor has like the most ridiculous game you've ever seen yeah, and kills the clock and puts up points and gets 30 carries and like 150 yards and three touchdowns, which 
when they beat Buffalo, that's what happened. He had a bazillion yards and four touchdowns, and we're like, whoa, where'd that come from? Jonathan Taylor. But they need that kind of game from him to beat those kinds of teams. And they're not going to get... how often can you rely on that? Yeah, they're not going to get three of those in a row, right? And that's the thing about the playoffs. It's one and done. You might get one. You might get lucky in the first one. You need to get lucky in the first one. If Wentz is not going to... Maybe they get lucky and Wentz lights it up again. But that's not been... You know, the best indicator of future performance is past performance. His past performance over the past three or four weeks has been not inspiring. It does not uh, lead you to believe that he's got one of those in his back pocket. Now, maybe he pulls one out. Great. And maybe Taylor has that game the next week, right, where he just runs wild or the run fits are terrible or maybe like we talked about, health, injuries, COVID, you know, the best run fitter on the other team is out. And, you know, Taylor exploits that for those kind of numbers but you're not going to get the next one, right? You're you're then going to go up against one of the top five, six quarterbacks in the league who can score points when they want to, and you can't. And if you go down, if this Colts team right now goes down 10 points, they can't make it up. They can make up one of those scores, but they can't make up two right now. Whereas we just talked about it with Burrow and the Bengals. They go down two scores like, hey, we can get one back anytime we want, pretty much. Like, we can flick a switch and get seven points. The Colts are just not like that. And that's, you get to playoff football, everything compresses, including decision-making, gets a little bit tighter. You, they don't have that explosion right now. And that, I think, like you, is going to be their downfall pretty soon, if they do make the playoffs. All their explosion comes from one guy who's got how many touches on him now at this point in the season? It's just you break down, man. You break down eventually. And they need they need something to compliment Jonathan Taylor, who's a remarkable player. Absolutely should be considered for MVP because I shudder to think of what this team would be like without him. But you need more. And I just I don't at this point believe that they have more. Uh, three up number three, the Cardinals finally got out of their funk, had a three-game skid, came back and beat a very, very talented team uh, from Dallas. I'll be honest, I didn't know they still had this in them, but when Kyler's having one of those weeks where he's just throwing absolutely gorgeous deep balls and you know he's, he's showing his mobility and juking people out of their shoes in space and the defense has a pretty decent day overall. In fact, I'd say more than decent, pretty good day overall. It was a nice reminder of what the Cardinals are capable of after three straight weeks of what the hell is this. It was nice to see that they can still be that team. I'm still not entirely sure how far they can go without DeAndre Hopkins and J.J. Watt. Who I had to check on their injury back. status. Watt I know he might come, be coming back, but Watt could come back. Hop is out, so Hop is for sure done, right? And not for sure yet, but much more serious. Watt is pretty likely to come back. He's one of those late, you know, late season, early playoff additions, kind of like Derrick Henry, that could really change that team's fortunes. Do you see Henry's practicing? No, Henry is most certainly back. Titans are in the playoffs like he's he's been running for a week in cleats on grass and he's back to full practice like now he's he's for sure going to be available and whoa that's a whole different team with him around 
if Tennessee gets the first seed and he gets that extra week off and he comes out in the divisional round, oh, shit, that's a different landscape. Totally different landscape. Because unlike some other teams, Tennessee can run the ball with Derrick Henry, but also has Tannehill and A.J. Brown and, mm-hmm. you know, they have other weapons in the air that can actually complement their run game. And, by the way, their defense is good, too. Keep an eye on that one. But yeah. back to Cardinals. I'm still not entirely sure how far they're going to go because they are banged up. And they do have, in my opinion, some pretty clear weaknesses that need to be addressed this offseason, particularly along the offensive line. But you still have Kyler Murray. You still have A.J. Green, who I think is having a renaissance season, in my opinion. You still have some other explosive weapons. Edmonds is back. Um, and the defense, I think, has has really come to play uh, in a few games recently and shown that they're not entirely a corpse either. There's still something there. Am I putting them up with the Green Bays? Um, not anymore. Maybe when they were all healthy, absolutely. But there's still something there, and I think this game showed that, of like, hey, when Kyler's on, they're tough to beat. You know what I really want out of a quarterback? Like, I swear to God, there's so many factors in scouting a quarterback. But, like, you know what I really want? If I'm a team that needs a quarterback and I'm going to the Senior Bowl or I'm going to the Shrine Bowl or I'm going to the Combine, you know what I want out of a quarterback, like, badly? The ability to throw a fade? (laughs) What guy that can just flick it. And there's a few guys in this league that can flick it. Kyler is a guy that can flick it. Aaron Rodgers is a guy. We saw it again versus the Vikings in 10 degree temperatures can just flick it. Flick of the wrist, right? Allen can flick it. Herbert can flick it, right? We saw a little bit of Trey Lance flicking it this week, which is kind of fun you had a couple um, throws that were like okay he okay, flicked he you. threw some bullets i want a guy that can flick it like there's guys that can throw it right i think like Tannehill is a guy that can throw it like he's a good arm and he can throw it and i would take Tannehill if i was a quarter quarterback needy team absolutely but if i'm like up in the top 10 and have been there perennially and i've got my shot now and i'm i need a quarterback i don't I just want a guy that can throw it like I want a guy that can flick it because there's so many plays where the window is so small, got a guy in your face, you're on the move, you don't have the great arm angle, and you just see these guys. Mahomes can flick it. He flicked a couple this week that were just, oh, what? Right? He's just moving sideways. He just, ah, that's the one I need. I need 20 yards and the guy's right there. Just, yeah, his his just, body's turning that way yeah, and the and ball's I just, going that way. And I just, <laughs> ha, you know, and Kyler. I'm I'm fading back. I got a guy in my face. I'm not the tallest guy. I just and it's 35 yards on a line. Like I want a guy that can flick it. Like that is a difference maker in this league. And Kyler shows that. And that to me is the clear difference between like Cardinals Colts right now. Two play two teams that are in similar situations. I would take the Colts never <laughs> with Wentz playing the way he is right which, now. Which is ironic because like they just played was that a week ago, two weeks ago? Yeah. And Indy beat them. Mm-hmm. And I still think like in my head, like hey, if they play 10 times, how many of those are Arizona winning? How many seven, is Indy seven? winning? I would say seven because occasionally Taylor's going to get loose. Occasionally Wentz might have his game. That's two out of 10. Like, and just bad bounces or, you know, special teams return. I'll, I'll give, I'll give the Colts one more. 
but not more than that. I'd say the other seven out of 10 are, are Cardinals wins. So just a, just a sort of snapshot postcard of where the league is right now. You got to have that guy at quarterback. He's got to extend a couple of drives. He's got to make a couple of plays with movement outside the pocket, whether it's with his arm or, or extending plays by running for a first down. Like doesn't have to be Lamar mobility. That's not the thing. Kyler's got great quicks. We all know that, but got to be able to flick it and pick up a couple of downs, turn a couple of series that shouldn't go your way. That's what's going to get you through that game in the playoffs. You shouldn't win. Uh, let's get to three down. Number one, things are still not all uh, sunshine and, and rainbows over in Carolina. Panthers have now lost six straight. Keep in mind, they started the year 3-0, and by the way. Yeah. I can't remember the last time I saw a team start 3-0 and and then finish it on a six, potentially seven-game losing streak. <laughs> Feels like a Raiders thing. <laughs> but worse? Yeah. No, like, worse because worse? there's, like, no real hope. And again, what's the difference between the Panthers and the Raiders, even the Raiders that had those big slots, like the Raiders still had their quarterback Mm -hmm. and the Panthers clearly don't. And again, this is a team that we were both super excited about in our divisional preview. We love their talent. They went all defense in last year's draft. And then the most current draft, they added weapons and free agency. And we were like, the arrows pointing up. Like we like this team. And for the first three, honestly, for the first month of the year, we were like, yep we're right this is good and then the wheels fell off and now we're here and it feels very very different if i told you mid-season the panthers would only win five games and that's very likely because the bucks have said no no we're not going to rest our starters arians has said we're going to play to win so the bucks should in theory crush the panthers And that would mean they win five games on the year. If I told you that, and I told you that they would fire Joe Brady midseason, if I said the Panthers, again, in our divisional preview, think back to last summer, sunny weather, brats, hot dogs, baseball games. If I told you this Panthers team with all this talent is going to win five games and they're going to fire Joe Brady halfway through the season, you would have been like, what are the odds? Like, sure, I'll take that, right? You would have taken that in a heartbeat. Well, here we are. They're going to win five games, and Joe Brady's long gone. Things are not good. And for me, I think that puts Rule on the hot seat. And a lot of people say, no, no, they're they're going to stay the course. Patience in the NFL is a vaunted commodity, and it's gotten a lot shorter. People see that you can turn teams around quickly. We were just talking about Kyler, right? They had drafted a quarterback high the year before. They were like, nope, we're going to a new coach. We're getting a new quarterback in the top 10. We're going to change things. And, you know, things happen more quickly. There is no five-year plan, seven-year plan. That the ain't Eagles a have a one-year plan. They're in the playoffs. I agree. <laughs> like, how can you look at the rest of the NFC? Like, Fucking Sean Payton keeping the Saints together, potentially with making nothing. the playoffs with nothing. He's got four quarterbacks that have played this year, and and they're still potentially going to make the playoffs. They just have to win, and I think the Niners need to lose. Yeah. 
There's I think, no excuse. I think Rule is miscalculating this. He's thinking of this in a more collegiate sense, which makes sense. That's where he came from. And at Baylor, it took three years to turn it around. And he's thinking, I have at least three years. And everybody else is thinking, I he's got at least three years. And I'm like, are you sure? You had a lot. Like, this team is in no way bereft of talent. Do they need offensive line help? They do. Do they need a quarterback? Obviously, they do. Uh, you know, they probably need something else at running back. I love CMC, but he has a lot of trouble staying on the field. But you can get a running back. We've talked about that. Do they have wide receivers? They do, right? Do they have a great defense? They do in terms of talent. Like, this is not a team that's bottom of the barrel. You don't get five years to turn this team around. This is your second year, and, ooh, you bottomed out. You, you won five games with all that talent. Like, there are going to be some questions. Do I guarantee he's going to get canned? Not even in the slightest. Would I be surprised if he does? Not totally. But he's now, like, even if he doesn't get fired, he's now firmly in the group where we're, like, looking ahead to 2022. Is like, hey, bud, if it's week eight, week nine next year, and you're nowhere close, you're done. Because if, if, if it's already starting this year, and how many times have we seen this? Like we see it with Mike Zimmer now, where it was already starting last year. And now we see what happened this year. Like it's almost guaranteed. Nagy, it was starting last year, fire Nagy. And they brought him back again. And by week seven, Bears fans were like, what are you waiting for? Oh, yeah, and Joe like, Judge. I think rules now, and Joe <laughs> Judge. Like I think rules now in that category where it's like if they don't fire him this year, if he doesn't turn around by midseason next year, week eight, he's out. There's no way. Well, that's the thing is he won't continue. And, and it's just, it's, it's troublesome. I'm, I feel for Panthers fans because they, they hopefully bought into the hype. Like they should have there. This is not a bad team. This is a pretty decent team that has underachieved. And that starts to point towards the coach really quickly. Uh, Speaking of Zimmer, by the way. So the Vikings just went out with a whimper being generous about it yeah vikings fans again the zimmer discussion has been a thing for what three years now feels like it because yeah. vikings fans got real tired of you know <laughs> oh we're, we're, we're in the wild card round oh okay season's over like you know they they got real tired of almost being it they made the nfc championship game one time after a miracle from Stephon Diggs, and then got destroyed by the Eagles. And like that was the top of the Zimmer era, was getting beat by, what, three possessions in the NFC Championship game? And that was four years ago? Been kind of all downhill from there. And this last Sunday against the Packers was the punctuation mark to that. Just outplayed in every sense of the word you know you're, you're trotting out sean Mannion rather than kellen mont who you just drafted in the third round which by the way rookie quarterbacks are job security in the nfl if, if your young quarterback shows something owners are less inclined to fire the coach because they don't want to destabilize the environment for a young quarterback that has promise if you throw mond out there and he looks good if he looks even halfway decent better for your job security he throws out sean Mannion, who 
does Sean Mannion things. Doesn't put in Kellen Mond until they're down by, what, 27 with like eight minutes to go. You're not getting anything out of that. That, to me, showed that, yeah, Zimmer's done. He's he's probably out. Look, this is a terrible setup, and we're not going to say that this is a game the Vikings should have won. Very unlikely the Vikings win this game in any case, Kirk Cousins healthy or not. Aaron Rodgers is playing at an obscene level of excellence for the second year in a row. It's in Lambeau. It's 10 degrees. You're not probably winning either way, right? But Cousins is out with COVID. You trot out Mannion because he's more senior, because he's a veteran, and Mike Zimmer has a long-standing history of loving veterans, and I understand that. But again, what you said makes a ton of sense. Like, if you show the owners, like, hey, this Mon guy's got some promise, and we got beat anyways, but we were probably going to get beat no matter what, but there's some there's some life here. We played with any kind of, you know, fight. Mm-mm. And then you hear things coming out of the Vikings locker room talking about their co-defensive coordinators. Is this ring any bells? Because we talked about this in our divisional preview episode. We are like, what is this? Zim's kid is co-DC with Andre. Like, hmm, like, what is that? What does that really like, mean? like, that's new. Yeah, that's odd. That's a weird structure. We get it. Coach's kid. I mean, that's the same thing in New England, right? We asked. We had to ask who the actual defensive play caller was. Oh, it's Belichick's kid. Okay, cool. Like, it's not unheard of, but now, look, the Vikings are in a bad place because teams in a bad place, leaks start to come out, and they are the kind that say, well, this is really screwy and we hate it. So a lot of nepotism comments about Zimmer's kid being in dc him being undeserving of that role not having earned it you you trot out sean Mannion, and then in the post game presser somebody says so this didn't work out so well do you think you want to look at mond and zimmer in zimmer ice cold fashion says no and the press corps like shakes their head and then somebody, some brave reporter, some brave soul offers up, uh, uh, coach, uh, wh- wh- why not? <laughs> He's like, because I see him every day, period. Okay. Yikes. Like, yikes. No matter what you need to say about Kellen Mon as a coach, no matter how you feel about him as a player, this serves no one. Like, you can say, look, he's not feeling great, or, you know, uh, I thought he was going to get crushed versus the Packers defense, and, you know, Mannion's got a little bit more experience at game speed. You can say a billion coach-speak things and get away from this. Zimmer has never been one. crush the kid. Yeah, Zimmer has never been one to dodge. And instead, he just leaves that hanging in the air. And I don't really think it was his intent to crush Callan. I don't. He but was he just... Oh, he he absolutely 100% did. There is no disagreement with that at all. This is Zimmer in a nutshell. And this is the reason it took him a long time to get a head coaching spot in the first place. This was the knock on Zimmer. is He's not going to sugarcoat it. And some people love that. Well... Minnesota fans don't love it anymore because it's pretty much eight and eight and he's still toeing the line. And 
if you have, I said, man, I hope Kellen Mond is renting on Twitter. And a lot of people came back and said, I hope Zimmer's renting because Zimmer's going to be out of town before Mond. People are done with Mike Zimmer. And if you're, again, Vikings ownership, we talk about not having a necessarily a bottom line function that the rest of us do because you're a billionaire. They do have a pride piece. They do have a perception piece that needs to be satiated and if you as the minnesota ownership group says hey everybody buy season tickets again zim's back it's gonna be a really (laughs) tough sell after what is a very vikings unfortunately for vikings fans a very vikings limp to the finish in 2021 that doesn't have a lot of bright spots like this team needs a reset at coach. They need a new perspective and they have to figure out what they're going to do with Kirk. That's a separate deal, but Zimmer is not bringing anything to this team. Zimmer is a no known, you know what you're getting. It's going to be middle of the road and that's it. That's what you're getting. I mean, I know, I know we're fond of the bears here, but I just feel bad. I feel bad for Vikings fans. I, I absolutely do. Even as a division rival, I feel bad for Vikings fans because that team is talented. You got Justin Jefferson. You got Thielen. We've said the same thing every year. It's like, oh, they're so talented. I know. And that is an absolute indictment of coaching. When you look yeah. at that team and you go, man, they got Barn, Kendricks. The defensive line has been above average for a long time in terms of creating pass rush like they're one of the spots we go oh man there's this talented athletic pass rusher i hope he goes to minnesota because he'll develop right they've had corners they've harrison smith at safety cousins when he's hot he's hot they had you know irv smith who unfortunately got hurt at tight end they got justin jefferson one of the top five receivers in the league that they hit on as a rookie they got adam thielen who is incredibly productive as a two like they got a great tackle like they got they got talent, right? They got, this team they got should two be, great tackles. I know this team should be winning, <laughs> and they're not, and they haven't been, and it's not an aberration or a, you got a lot of guys hurt or you had a lot of guys out because of COVID. This is the Mike Zimmer experience, and yes, I feel bad for Vikings fans, and I say that unabashedly as a Bears fan. Like I look at that situation, and I go, man, if the Bears had that much talent and they were still putting up middling results and had no chance against you know the aaron Rodgers of the world i yeah it's not an easy it's not an easy burden to bear and they've got some changes coming i hope you you know who i feel even worse for though (laughs) yes (laughs) yes i do giants fans yeah oh giants fans i'm gonna where do we even begin this has been not the year from hell not the regime from hell. This has been the decade from hell since 2011 when you won the Super Bowl against none other than Tom Brady himself for the second time in a five-year period. You've been rebuilding since that Super Bowl over and over and over and over again. Failing over and over and over again. Every single time Giants fans get a glimmer of hope. It gets crushed. And what's worse about it is now we're at the point where they don't have any hope. And the bar is so low 
that now we are literally having to go negative to still disappoint them. The Giants, as an offense, just had, I'm not even kidding, the worst passing day ever with net, net, negative 10 passing yards, taking into account the Mike Glennon experience of, what was it, 24 passing yards? 34, maybe? I think it was 24. And then when you include all of his sack yardage, because he got sacked four times in this game by a defense that has been missing Khalil Mack since, was a week 10, something like that. Negative 10 passing yards in the modern NFL. I don't know if I've ever seen that, but holy shit. I mean, I thought we could, you know, maybe find rock bottom eventually for these Giants fans that have been hurting so much, and we're now underground. We are under rock bottom. I don't know where else to go from here. You know what the good news is? Joe Judge is coming back. That's not good news. That doesn't doesn't count. You know what the good news is? What? You had more passing yards than the Giants on Sunday. Hey, where's my millions? Exactly. Uh, This is terrible. This is extended terrible, worse than terrible. Um, It's the Mike Glennon revenge game just in reverse. He's He's getting revenge on his current team instead of his former team. That's not the way it's supposed to work. Um, no, it was, this is a really rough game. Like it's, this is the, the feel good game for anybody that plays them. And you don't want your team to ever be in that situation. Like the, the saying goes, you never want to be the most famous person on Twitter. Cause it's probably bad, right? You never want to be the team that everybody gets healthy against. And for a long time, it was the lions. Now it's not the lions. The lions are playing tough football. The giants are a team that everybody gets healthy against like the bears who are a, admittedly terrible team this year smoked them like this game wasn't even it was never competitive they they didn't even try and throw it for most of the game and they still ended up with negative 10 overall passing yards and by the way no brett you've never seen that because it's never happened before individual (laughs) players have had negative passing yard days but they got pulled mid-game, and their replacement actually racked up some positive yardage. So there has never been a negative 10-yard passing day for an entire team, ever. This is a record. This is, like you said, digging underground to find new lows for a franchise that doesn't need to do it. They've had plenty of lows. It's not great, and the thing that kills me is this franchise is committed. We talked about this last week on the one that got erased— to bringing back Joe Judge and Danny Dimes. And that is, again, I talked about it earlier in this podcast. What are the two things you need to compete in the modern NFL? A head coach slash play caller that's got it and a quarterback. If you have those things, you can compete. And the Giants have said, the Maras have said, hey, you can come be GM of our franchise, but those things are locked in and they're terrible. Good luck. And you also mentioned on last week's podcast that their salary cap situation sucks. They have like the third least money available or sixth uh, least money it's available. Bottom, bottom six somewhere yeah. in there. In free yeah. agency, it's like $6 million free. Like this is not a team that can buy its way out of the hole. It does have some draft picks, but you've already said to the new GM, like you get Joe Judge and Daniel Jones. So guaranteed turnovers. And a guy that right now is just grasping at straws and seems ever closer to completely disconnected 
with reality. Like if I'm a GM candidate, I'm not licking my chops to get a hold of this opportunity, Big Apple or no. I'm like, wait, what? You, I have to keep those two guys? And they're like, mm-hmm. And my question as a thinking human being is, why? What have they done to deserve that? And the answer is they haven't. But for some reason, the Giants crave stability so much that they'll take awful stability over change. <laughs> oh, God. Well, with that being said, I won't torture Giants fans anymore. Oh, wait. Yes, I will. Let's talk about the Eagles being successful. Three interesting number one. <laughs> The Eagles are now a playoff team. I think every Giants fan, by the way, just shut this podcast off and disgust. Oh, they they threw their phone at the it's wall okay. like 10 minutes They'll ago. They'll be back. They'll yeah. be back. They'll be back. Once they get a new um, phone. <laughs> the Eagles made the playoffs officially this week. They clinched playoff berth. And I want to highlight, and we talked about this in the offseason preview. We talked about how, hey, it's like, hey, they're, they're, their staff is young and green. And like I said specifically, it's like, I, I don't know what we're going to get out of it. But it's possible that, you know, maybe there's some hiccups early and then they come on strong late. We'll see. You know, again, they don't have any tendencies established, so they're a little bit harder to prepare for than maybe some seasoned coaches where you kind of know what they want to do. And I was like, hey, let's 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 see what they got here. It's possible. Again, I really like Jalen Hurts as a quarterback coming out of uh, Alabama slash OU. So I had I had uh, what's the word? Cautious optimism. There could be something there. Even me being cautiously optimistic, I still wasn't sure, like, oh, yeah, this is a playoff team. And yet here we are. It's a first-time head coach, a first-time defensive coordinator, a first-time special teams coordinator. By the way, you know who their special teams coordinator is? I did last summer because I wrote the agenda. (laughs) You remember Michael Clay from Oregon? Oh, yeah. The linebacker? Yeah. yeah. Came out like in 2013. Like he's 30 years old. And he's the special teams coordinator. Their staff I'm is I'm pretty in... sure he and Justin Herbert probably shared a teammate or two. Yeah, they I mean, their staff is incredibly young, but I'll let you continue with the the rankings. <laughs> it's it's crazy. And he's the youngest of the bunch, but not by much. Shane Steichen might be Steichen. I think I made that mistake last summer too. I still can't <laughs> remember exactly what it what is. Uh, which one it is. Um, He's a second-year offensive coordinator. He only has one full year of play calling, and it was last year with the Chargers before they Mm -hmm. reset their whole staff. But he was, again, play caller for a record-setting campaign by Justin Herbert. Um, So he's second-year OC, and he's the most seasoned of the group. Then you got a quarterback with barely a year of starting experience because he got thrown in like week 11, week 12 last year, if I remember correctly. This was his first full year starting with Jalen Hurts. The youngest group of coordinators slash head coach I can remember in a long time. Average age of 36. Like, I'm pretty sure Tom Brady's older. Actually, no, he is older than their entire staff because Nick Sirianni's the oldest one. He's 40. Like, it's crazy how green this group is. (laughs) Head coach, coordinator, and quarterback. And they're in the playoffs. You did say it. You just oh, said green. that the I, Eagles coaching staff is green. Okay, so we've got our joke of the weekend. Um, 
we said this on the preview podcast and we it's stark when you go through the entire league end to end one of the real benefits of that exercise is you look at rosters and you stack them comparatively you look at coaching staffs and you stack them comparatively you look at number of coaches because not all nfl teams have the same number of coaches some invest more in their coaching staff some invest less you look at age you look at experience which are not the same thing and overall like by far the eagles coaching staff was the youngest and the least experienced and i haven't done the math on it but i bet if you added up the nfl years of experience on the eagles coaching staff it would be by far the lowest in the nfl now again that can come with innovation that can come with new tendencies that can come with good things but it can also come with a lot of inexperience that ends up costing you games in terms of game management, player management, uh, adjusting to your talent, all kinds of things. So we just had a lot of caution, whether it was cautious optimism or we just had a lot of, hey, we don't know. We said a lot of that during that section of the NFC East divisional preview. We're like, we just don't know. None of these guys have a lot of tape or, or history, any of them. There's not a there's not a gray beard among them. So we hope it works out, but it was right on the heels of the Nick Sirianni intro presser, which was a disaster. Doesn't sort of make or break a coach, but it certainly gives you an impression, a first impression of what is he doing? Um, And then he came out like a month later and talked about potted plants and people were like, what's going on? And the Eagles were still floundering at that point. The fact that they have turned it around, that they are in the playoffs, and that they really are, again, a team that some teams, not all teams, but some of the teams that are going into these playoffs don't want any part of. They have a very powerful offensive line. Um, They've been finding a way to win. They are that team right now. It's a tremendous credit to Nick Sirianni as a first-year and first-time head coach and to his entire staff, which does not have a ton of experience. The fact they've pulled together and put this team in a position to win more times than not in their first campaign, really, really impressive job. And we're not even talking about like a top five talented team in the league here that just needed a fresh start. Like There were significant holes on the roster. There still are some significant holes on the roster. I was going to say, are you sure they're gone? I don't think they're gone. But they're a playoff team, and they have three first-round picks to fix those holes. That's crazy. That Howie Roseman part, right? You're like, oh, and so basically you did a one-year rebuild. You were bad, just just like New England. You were bad for one year. You're now back in the playoffs, and... You've got a whole crap load of capital. If it was theoretically an open GM job, it is not. I'm not predicting that it's going to be how he's doing a great job. If it was a potential GM destination, you would take it in a heartbeat. You'd say, I've got a young quarterback who's established his ability to make it to the playoffs. I've got three first round picks. I've got average salary cap flexibility. Like I'm in a big market. Like I'm good. Like, let's go. That would be a great destination. That franchise is in pretty good shape. I just, I think it's one of the best stories in the league. I one really of the do. most underreported best stories in the league, I think. Because, no. I mean, how often do you see that you kind don't. of inexperience at all, all levels of the organization? 
and having success. Like, don't don't talk to me about like, oh, their weak schedule. You, you play who's in front of you. There's other teams that have had weak schedules too, and they're horse shit. Like the Denver Broncos have beat up on a bad teams too. A whole <laughs> lot of bad teams, and they're not good. Yeah, I there's well, that's a whole nother podcast about perceptions and 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 actual outcomes and results. But I really feel like the Eagles are the story that most NFL fans wanted the Dolphins to be and are to a point. But it's mm. like Dolphins in the AFC, right? Had a had a really rough, terrible first half. We talked about it again last week in the one that got deleted. Long losing streak, long winning streak. First in history. Seven losses, seven wins. Um, Eagle, you know, Dolphins fell off this last week and, and notched a loss. But, like, the Eagles, with a lot less fanfare, have had a very similar arc throughout the season. And you hear a lot of talk about Flores and his staff, again, because they've been in place longer maybe. Um, but Nick Sirianni largely flying under the radar. Yeah, I don't think he's going to get like any coach of the year consideration because, I mean, you see what Vrabel's done and Lafleur, and uh, there's a, a lot, lot of guys you could argue for. A lot of deserving it, candidates this year. He should at least get like a passing glance. I don't know. I think he's done a tremendous job. Yeah. Uh, three interesting number two. Let's talk about sex, baby. Just talk about you and me. I will never <laughs> sing on this show again. By the way, that's the Lagavulin. Don't blame uh, me. I don't know. I think it was all right. Well, you're also a little buzz too. You're no, you're no judge. Yeah, and I'm not a great vocal talent. So, TJ Watt, let's talk about these sacks. Four sacks on Monday night, bringing his total to is it twenty, twenty and a half, twenty and a half. I mean, he's he's nipping at the heels of the single season record. Could very easily get it against Baltimore, knowing the tackles that Baltimore is running out there right now. Could very easily get it. Uh, people put an asterisk because uh, 17 game season, whatever. Like TJ missed a couple games too, so he he's not like we're looking at like games played, number of sacks in number of games played. I would give. I would not personally put an asterisk on that just because of how crazy productive he's been. Probably will win Defensive Player of the Year. I I, I think that there's legitimate arguments for you know Micah Parsons. AJ Terrell, I think it's a dark horse because he's been amazing this year and like one of the only things keeping the Falcons in games these days. But knowing how the voters vote, yeah, TJ Watt's probably going to be defensive player of the year. Here's an interesting stat about TJ Watt specifically. So since 2021, this year, obviously he leads the league in sacks. Since 2020, last season, he leads all players in sacks. Since 2019, the season before that, he leads all players in sacks. And since 2018, the year before that, he leads all active players in sacks. You look at, like, you know, most productive pass rushers over a long period of time, he blows everybody out of the water. Like, since 2019 specifically, he's got 51 sacks. Nobody else has more than 38 and a half. He is so far and above, again, in terms of production, over every other pass rusher in the league. Like, nobody even comes close. And also, the first brother duo to get 20 sack seasons. Because remember, his older brother, JJ, also notched one himself. It's just an incredible achievement what he's done this year, despite 
being injured for a time, missing some games. I, it's it's hard to argue against anybody else but him for Defensive Player of the Year. Occasionally in this lifetime, we get to be really glad about things we did a while ago. What's that? I am really glad that I brought his name up in our preview show when we were predicting year-end <laughs> award winners. And I couldn't not. Like, I didn't have him on my initial list. We were all picking two or picking three. I can't remember. And Defensive Player of the Year, this is the one. And if you go back to that podcast, we actually said it on the podcast. I was like, this was a struggle. There are a lot of good candidates. I can't not have Miles Garrett on there. And he's delivered this year as well. And I was like, ah, and I ended up, and my final list didn't have TJ Watt on it. And I was like, that seems wrong. I was like, I don't, I just, <laughs> I just can't, I can't not say something about TJ Watt. So I said, I, in the podcast, I said, and you know, TJ Watt in Pittsburgh, you got to consider him, right? He's, he didn't make my rankings, but he's, he's there. He, you can't put this list together and not have him on it. Oh man, am I glad I said that because again, despite missing some games, his production speaks for itself. 2019, since 2019, 51 sacks no other player more than 38 and a half like this isn't a one-year wonder this isn't a flash in a pan he's not going to regress to the mean like this is his mean he leads the <laughs> league in sacks that's his mean every year <laughs> and that's amazing that is a hard thing to do sacks are fickle they're hard to get they're like interceptions if you believe that trayvon diggs is going to lead the league in interceptions next year you're probably wrong the ball bounces funny. It's not a, it's, it's an oddly shaped ball, right? Things go up and down. The fact that despite that in a extremely fickle category, he's been the leader, the leader, the leader, and the leader says a lot about his talent, his work ethic, about the coaches in Pittsburgh and the situations they put him in. This is a guy that you can never count out of defensive player of the year consideration if he's healthy that's everything you want in a football player. Like TJ Watt is a guy that pretty much every team in the league would be like, yep, we got a spot for him. What's crazy. So, you know, he's got 21 and a half sacks in 14 games, which is nuts. He's been so productive that he has completely overshadowed the other record breaking season that's been happening across the league right now. Robert Quinn just broke Richard Dent's, uh, Chicago Bears single season sack record. He's got 18 on the year now with a game to go. And that record stood for how many decades now? Three? You four? Want, you want to know the funny thing about that one since we're talking about games and sacks per game? Huh. So Quinn got a chance to talk to him and Dent reminded him he said it in 10 games. He did 17 and a half in 10 games? Holy shit. <laughs> a little known fact there were not 10 games in that season he played 10 games in that season and he got 17 and a half so richard dent on his own plateau but it, we we need to talk about quinn quinn last year was obviously injured he didn't say so he was this huge free agent signing of ryan pace he comes out and basically lays a biscuit does very little chicago fans get on him rightly really hard because he's making a ton of money what we didn't know is he was hurt he was injured. It was very clear. He comes out this year healthy, and he's 
back to Robert Quinn status, and he's wrecking everybody. Like you said, Khalil Mack's been out of the lineup, so you can't say, oh, he's been drawing all the attention. Akeem Hicks has missed a bunch of games. Quinn has been the leader and the guy for opposing offenses to focus on, and he still put up a single-season record in 16 games for the Bears, breaking Richard Dent's quite old record. Um, Sean Desai... Again, he's not going to get any coordinator of the year votes. He is a first-year D.C. in Chicago. The Bears are tied for second in sacks in the league. With missing, as you mentioned, Khalil uh, Mack and Akeem Hicks that's for the a lot part. of games. Yeah, that's yeah. the part that makes that like, and most people would say that. They'd like, oh, who's the third or fourth team in the league in sacks? People would, as poorly as the Bears have played this year, people would say, oh, the only reason the Bears have been in any of these games, because their secondary is terrible outside of Jalen Johnson, is because they've been able to pressure the quarterback very regularly. And guys like Travis Gibson and, you know, we saw Angelo Blackson getting a sack this last week. Like, Sean Desai has patched together a pass rush with Robert Quinn in a record-setting season and a bunch of guys because he's not had the other blue chippers on the line consistently. So when you look at a line like the Rams, like end to end, and they traded for Vaughn Miller, like, yeah, you're expecting that line to get a lot of pressures and sacks because anytime somebody gets doubled, the guy that's free is Vaughn Miller. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's the case. Hasn't been the case in Chicago. The fact that they're second or third in sacks in the league in Desai's first year with limited weapons, real credit to him. Also, his ability to scheme up those one-on-ones for Robert Quinn, like he'll just park a linebacker over the center and say, go ahead, go ahead, don't block me, I dare you. Because he, he gives them free reign. He's like, look, if they, like you you bail out, but if they're just all sliding away, just go. Like he'll, he'll give them the green light. Like Roquan, I mean, he lets Roquan do whatever he wants because he's Roquan, but like they, they absolutely have that green light where if there's an alley there, Run through it because I bet you you can get to the quarterback before he gets rid of the ball. Yeah, and, uh, it works. It works. And his ghost is as good as almost anybody's in the league right now. And he uses it. He's used it for really high quality sacks. Our buddy Brandon Thorne, who we've had on the show, who's one of the foremost experts in my mind uh, on offensive line play, uh, rates quality of sacks, not just because they're look, they're cleanup sacks. They're sacks where the quarterback runs out of a good pocket and runs into you. There's a different quality to sacks. Like he says of Robert Quinn, like the majority of those sacks are what I classify as high quality sacks that he beat somebody and earned them. Like you watch his ghost to use it in last week's game. It's gorgeous. Good luck touching it's it. Absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. That's what I love about it. The, the whole situation, because Desai knows what he has out there with Quinn, where it's like, if I could just give him that one-on-one, yep. if I could just force them to not double him, just even if I don't actually bring more than four, if I could just make it look like I'm not going to bring more than four, just give him that one-on-one so that he can win in two and a half seconds, and he's going to win, and he wins every single week. Phenomenal job by him. I think he's he's really... Again, I don't know what's going to happen with Nagy. He's probably gone. I don't know what's going to happen with Pace. Whoever comes in next at head coach, I really hope they do the same thing they did with Vic when Vic was DC and he was a holdover. I hope they hold over Sean Desai because I don't think they're going to get another young DC like him. 
You know what's crazy about Sean Desai? What's that? That would be his fourth head coaching regime as a Bears coach. He has survived through three coaching regimes because he is that good. So he, was he Tressman? Was he with Tressman? Came in last year, Tressman, made it through Fox, and now he's with Nagy. Really? I didn't realize he went all the way back to Tressman. Yep. Damn. He's made it through three head coaching regimes. That would be his fourth. That, I think, would be unheard of. Somebody that's held over four times with a team that, again, a team that's because changed. Because they're that good. <laughs> right. A team that's changed yeah. coaches four times. Like, normally a coach will say, no, nah, I need all my own people. So the fact that he survived once through a regime change is amazing. The fact that he survived. He was a junior staffer at the time. The fact that he survived twice is ridiculous. You know. He so he's three, in his though. third. <laughs> he survives three times to I mean, and they would be silly not to consider him because his results as a first year DC have been very good given what he's had to work with, especially in the secondary. It's not been pretty. Let's get to uh three interesting number three, and this is again more of a historical appreciation. I'm choosing to not think about what Big Ben is right now. I'm choosing to remember what Big Ben was for many, many, many years before the last few, when clearly his arm gave out, I think is a nice way to put it. It's unbelievable to me, and I, I don't even know where you got this stat. It came up in it the broadcast. Un- it like oh, they, Okay, that's where it was. They said it in the broadcast, and I was like, they must have misspoken. That's not possible. Listen to this stat if you're if you're watching or listening in the podcast form because it's mind blowing. In 18 years, Ben Roethlisberger has only played in two two games where the Steelers were out of playoff contention. That means that he has had them in the hunt until Week 17 or this year Week 18 every single year except two. That is remarkable. Other than probably Tom Brady or Peyton Manning, I can't think of anybody else who's done that. Yeah, and only for a game, right? I I would actually venture that Peyton's mark is probably higher because they were out pretty early his rookie year. Oh, that's a good point. I didn't even think about right? that. This is such an easy stat to blow, right? <laughs> if you're if you're Peyton Manning and you have a rookie year that is expected of rookies and your team gets eliminated with three weeks to go, you have no chance at this, no matter how good your hall of fame career is, right? The fact that you played 18 years, which is six times the league average, by the way, league average career is three point something years. You're talking about roughly three times the league average in terms of length of career, obviously played at a hall of fame level, obviously will end up, going to Canton, which is a perfect full circle because he's an Ohio kid, right? Went to high school in Ohio, went to college in Ohio, and he'll go back to Ohio as a Hall of Famer. Like, perfect circle, but literally 18 years in a rugged division, a division that traditionally beats the living hell out of itself. And he's played in two 
total games, not two seasons where he was out of contention and he had, oh, that one year where they were six games out. And, you know, by the time a month was, you know, we were within four games, it was like, nah, they're done. Right. No, this is what being above 500 every season will get you. And that's the next step. But it came up during the broadcast and I was like, wow, that's it. It's impossible. It puts it into perspective. Yeah, it's it puts impossible. It into perspective. What he and Mike Tomlin have done, because Tomlin also, keep in mind, this past week became the first coach in NFL history to start his career with 15 straight years of no losing seasons. Even Belichick didn't do that. Shula didn't do that. Paul Brown didn't do that. Like, you go down the list. Nobody's done that that is a coached for that long, but B never been outright bad. They've been disappointing some years. Absolutely. Especially look at the last few years, but they've never been outright bad. And I think considering some of the recent events with what has happened with some of the players that were there under his tenure, I mean, God, he had Ben and Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell and all these guys under one roof for how long? And he kept that shit under control. And they didn't lose. Like, that, that to me is a testament to Mike Tomlin's greatness. He's one of the best coaches of his generation because he was literally sitting in the saddle on top of a fucking powder keg. And they were great. They were never bad. It's unbelievable. The Steelers' legacy with Ben and and Coach Tomlin. I I honestly, other than Belichick and Brady themselves, I can't think of another duo. I mean, this has never been done before. And you think about all the duos that have come before. That's never been done. Yeah, and you look at Heinz Field last night, and it was... It was an atmosphere that was, they knew, he knew. There was just a ton of appreciation, as you would expect, in that stadium from that fan base. Incredibly loyal fans in Pittsburgh. They travel like almost no other fans uh, in the NFL. To have that extended run of greatness on the field in that city with that combination, it's special. I watched all of it. I watched it right to the end. Was it a great game? No, it was a competitive game. I mean, they had a chance, like Cleveland had a chance at the end. But they popped up Cleveland's record in Heinz Field. They're like 3-24 and 24 or something in their last 27 games there, and that includes the playoff win from last year. Like, they're like 3-24, and 24, a division rival, right? Now, look, the Browns haven't been great for a long time, but they've been pretty good for a couple of years at least. 3-24, and 24. like... That combination of Ben and Tomlin just stomped that shit. They they, they had no shot when they came to their house. And well, for a long time, Ben was the winningest quarterback at First Energy Stadium. Yes. In Cleveland. Yes. That's true, too. I, it it was a special atmosphere. I watched the whole thing because of that, because you can remember it. And, and a lot of people were saying, oh, you know, Ben is... he Look, he's played a very long time, 18 years. A lot of people were saying, oh... This is, you know, this is the last quarterback going out from the first class I remember getting drafted when I was in, you know, middle school or high school. Like that, there, 
you think about it, if you were, you know, seven years old when Ben Roethlisberger was drafted, right? You're in the middle of your life. You're probably married, doing whatever. Like you've never known. You're 35, two kids and a mortgage and a white picket fence. And you've never known known. a Steelers quarterback besides Ben Roethlisberger. That's exceptional. Like that's, that's not a thing you see happen a lot in the NFL. So that's why I watched the entire game. Uh, Let's get to uh, the bootleg shot of the week. And we're actually doing, making history today. This is the second time we've done a shot for this week's winner. Because we did it last week, <laughs> and then I deleted the episode. I forgot about so we're that. We're doing this it again. The bootleg double shot episode. So I'm using the same tequila. Oh. Got my Altos here. I I joined you, but I didn't. Uh, I didn't do Altos. I did Milagro. So I've got Milagro silver. Oh, there you go. And I figured tequila for tequila. It's you know, shake off those winter blues, get rid of a little bit of the icicles outside, and and pretend that you're on a beach somewhere drinking tequila. Well, go to New Orleans. It's 80 and 85% humidity. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. Uh, so this week's and last week's winner was Pat Frymuth ragdolling. Or sorry, not Pat Frymuth. Pat Frymuth getting ragdolled Ragdoll. by Jeffrey Simmons. Uh, it was a very, very lively debate in the comments about, about who would win that one. And I think people just seeing a 260-pound man getting comically thrown around you know, like he's a weeble wobble or something like that. Uh, you know, people couldn't resist, so they voted Jeffrey Simmons, the monster of Tennessee. Salut. <sighs> this I think goes down even better than Casadores. Malagro Silver, and this was chilled. Some of the smoothest tequila ever. Um, yeah, if you haven't or you don't, um, follow Brian Baldinger. Uh, he did a thing on Tennessee's defensive line, called him the best in the league. Um, obviously, Jeffrey Simmons did he? is part of that. Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yesterday or today. Check out mm. Baldy's account. Um, really interesting breakdown of, of some of the fun stuff that Tennessee is doing in combination with their linebackers, but really setting up, um, just like you said, with Sean Desai, using linebackers to set up two-way goes for their defensive linemen. So cool piece if you're interested people always ask us like hey what sources do you look at and where do you get extra knowledge about x y or z and baldy's great baldy's breakdowns every week are a lot of fun and and well done this week's nominees we have a an eclectic bunch number one avery williams on punt coverage putting a hat on the ball knocking it loose from i think it was isaiah mckenzie Not sure who the returner was, but this is... I love getting special teamers into the mix because this is a big play. Big play in a game. Um, Technically very sound. Put his hat right on the ball. Uh, This was a game changer and a big hit as well, so... Hell of a hit. Uh, Nominee number two, Adrian Amos, who's really had a a fantastic run in Green Bay ever since he got there. Uh, I think this was on one cross, if I remember correctly. They showed too high, and then Amos kind of came down late. This is a, a coverage that we've seen a lot of quarterbacks throw picks on. And uh, Conklin was running an option route, and Kirk thought he was shallow enough that, oh, it won't be a pick. He'll just have to hold on to the ball. And uh, he did not hold on to the ball when Amos lit his ass up. Interestingly enough, the ball didn't go to the ground. It went straight up in the air where Garrett Bradbury, of all people, caught it and took off running for a, kind of an immaculate reception 
an amazing play for a lot of different reasons, but I wanted to specifically highlight that hit from Amos. Form tackle, perfect hit, put Conklin right on his ass, and got a PBU out of it. Or does that count as a PBU? I'm I mean, not sure. Uh, but did you see the leg drive on Bradbury? A, he had form three-point control on the ball. This is a guy that probably played running back in, like, Pee Wee I think football. it was tight end, if I remember correctly. He had a lot of catches at and, tight end. like, leg drive, lean the whole bit. I was like, you go, big guy. That's, that's, yeah. Offensive linemen everywhere cheer when that happens. I guarantee it. I'm on a writing staff with at least three former offensive linemen. And, um, yeah, that is, that is the highlight. They don't care who it comes from, who gets what, touchdown, positive yards, catch completed. They don't care. Like, they're like, that's my play. Yeah, it is a fraternity offensive line. I just looked it up. He was uh, he was a tight end and defensive end in high school, got recruited to NC State as a tight end, and they converted him to offensive line, as so many teams do these days. They take talented tight ends that can move, and they say, hey, here's some biscuits. <laughs> Put your hand in the dirt. Let's go. You've got good feet. Bulk up, kid. Yep. And it worked. It worked. He got picked in the first round because of it. Yeah. Uh, nominee number three, Javon Holland, a shot of the week alumni, multiple times this year, delivering the hammer. And he's one of those guys where not only does he have range and ball skills, but he's kind of like Buda Baker where he's 15 yards deep. He can still come from depth and play the run in a hurry. And uh, the Titans found that out pretty quick here. Got the stop just short of the sticks, set up a punt, one of the only punts Tennessee had that day. They still lost by a lot. But hell of a play from Javon Holland to come from depth and fill the run and uh, and do so as violently as only he can. Yeah. Uh, alumnus, by the way, since we're doing that. Is Latin. it not alumni? Oh, alumni is plural. Alumni is plural. Alumnus eh. is singular male. Nerd. Oh, yeah. Hardcore. <laughs> Guilty as charged. Um, anyways, Holland quickly becoming. Uh, we were a fan of his you know, pre-draft, and he has continued that on with his play in Miami this year. Uh, a guy that is underrated, definitely, if you were doing a redraft, which is always an interesting exercise, would not slip to the second round. This is a versatile playmaking safety with talent and pass coverage and the ability like this to cover range and lay a lick. Look, the play had already gone lateral, and he just kept it moving that way. It wouldn't have been – it's only about a yard, yard and a half from the sticks, from the marker – made sure the ball carrier wasn't going to get there. Javon Holland, a guy to keep an eye on, rising star defensively in the league. And then options number four and five, because <laughs> EJ refused to have four options this week, had to have nope. both of these. It was a uh, a stiff arm of Palooza over on Monday night between the Steelers and the Browns. Najee Harris got his customary weekly stiff arm, and Nick Chubb might have had the stiff arm of the year. Both in this game. We couldn't leave one out, so we just threw them both in at option four and five. You can choose whichever one you like best. They're both incredible stiff arms. I know you're partial to the Chubb one. Uh, I want to reward Najee for consistency because he seems to do this yeah. every single week. <laughs> yeah. I'm not I'm not going to short him. Uh, I did see the Najee play first. Uh, I got to the game a little bit late, so I didn't see the Chubb stiff arm live, but it got sent to me by, thank you very much, at least three bootleg viewers uh, in rapid succession. Like, hey, did you see this one when I put out the, hey, it's Monday call? 
And the view that we have, the view that's linked on the YouTube version of this is the slow motion version. And it's oddly hypnotic. It is a perfect disaster for the Pittsburgh DB. Like there are so many things that could have gone one iota different and it wouldn't have been that bad, but they all failed. And this became the stiff arm of doom. Like watch his <laughs> upper body bounce off the turf. It looks like Chubb's dribbling a basketball, but it happens to be a Steelers defensive back. It is everything went perfectly wrong for that guy. And he became a completely ballistic piece of this equation. Like he just got <laughs> bounced and it's, it's really ugly, but Chubb put a lot of effort into it had to be included. Um, yeah, I think you know who I'd vote for at this point. So no poker face. So if you want to vote for these, and uh, even if you're listening to the audio-only version, we have a pinned comment in the YouTube version of this show. You can cast your vote there. And uh, next week, we'll take yet another shot to the winner. Do you know you got nominated this week? I got nominated? Yep. By who? This was the underrated Twitter comment of the week, which I... Out of deference to you, did not respond to, but I put out the call for bootleg shot of the week nominees. <laughs> and somebody said, Brett, for this week's podcast, click on the link below. Dot, dot, dot. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't oh, mean to. I didn't I mean know, to. I, I know. I thought and, it was saved. And people thought I was taking shots at you. And I just want to commend your consistency. We're fast approaching 100 episodes on bootleg. I think this is like the 97th upload or something. And we've never done that before. So we were like, you know, one for 97 on misses. It's a pretty good rate in just about any industry. Certainly if you're talking about draft or winning football games, we're high above that average. So I appreciate and applaud your consistency. Um, and yeah, it was a bit like losing uh, something. Again, it happened this, we should just mention it happened on the same day that John Madden passed and Jeff Dickerson passed. Like it was a rough day and you texted me like early the next morning 12 30 12 45 i think i deleted it and by that point i was all out of f's i just i couldn't give anything else and i was like oh and it was only later as i went to like oh i should reference that on twitter like hey we talked about fangio hey we talked about the baby Bengals. hey we, and i was like oh it doesn't exist it's gone it wasn't until later that i got real mournful um because there were just bigger things on the day that it happened but in general uh I'm really glad with the consistency that we have, and it's pretty darn good. We are the Justin Tucker of mediocre football podcasts. There you go. I <laughs> I absolutely take that mantle proudly. Uh, let's get to the Week 18 watch list, the final regular season week of the year. All of these games have some sort of major playoff implication. Chargers, Raiders speaks for itself, win and in. That's why the league flexed it to Sunday Night Football, why it's the last game of the year, because it is theoretically win and in. Unless, number two <laughs> on this list, Jacksonville beats Indy. Again, the Colts have not won in Jacksonville since 2014. One of the weirder stats I've come across this week. And so, I'm not saying that they will win or lose, but it's possible they lose and if they do, then the Chargers-Raiders game potentially gets a lot more interesting because they can tie and both make it in. And the NFC side, San Francisco is in a win-and-in scenario, and the Rams are motivated to, even though they're already clinched, 
they're motivated to beat San Francisco because if San Francisco loses, to my recollection, they also need the Saints to lose in order to guarantee their playoff spot. But I know when in their win and in scenario, they win or they're in outright if they win. And the Rams don't want the Niners to be in because the Niners historically pretty good against the Rams. Like regardless of how good or bad either of these teams are, they both give each other give each other excuse me a lot of trouble. So it's in the Rams' best interest to just nip that in the bud and eliminate them now. But let's just say the Niners do lose. The Saints and Falcons game is also super interesting because the Saints can make the playoffs if they win and the 49ers lose. So there's a lot going on this weekend and a lot of games to pay attention to. Yeah, the Saints, I didn't mention them earlier. I should have in those teams like the Raiders. uh, The Eagles are already in, uh, you know, the Dolphins we talked about, they're not probably going to make it, but like these teams that nobody thought had a chance, the Steelers, right? The Steelers and the Saints are kind of in the same boat of they're not in control of their own destiny, but you also thought they had no shot at the playoffs, right? The Saints have had a terrible run uh, at quarterback this year, but Sean Payton has put together enough wins that it's even possible in the last week of the season that's an amazing achievement. Um, now we'll see if it happens. There's a couple things that need to happen for the, like the saints to get in. And do I think the saints are really going anywhere if they get in, in the NFC playoffs? Nah, not probably, but that kind of doesn't matter. It's a different bar for them this year. So 49ers Rams is fascinating because it's a division rivalry as well, which again, the NFL does a great job of putting those in the last week of the season. And, Typically, that would be for divisional seating. Look, Rams are already in, but yeah, they would prefer to end Kyle Shanahan right now. They don't yeah, want that. They have five straight losses to the Niners, so they, they don't, do not want them in the playoffs. They do not want that hanging around as a specter. They would much rather have the Saints, you know, uh, in terms of a matchup. So it's a fascinating game on multiple levels, but uh, the Rams have stumbled a little bit. Matt Stafford's turned into a bit of a, you know, turnover slot machine in the last couple of weeks. So it'll be interesting to see if they can come back. If Jimmy's, you know, thumbs healed enough. I don't think he is. Trey Lance played pretty well in the second half last week. There's just a lot of storylines. So all these games are interesting from that perspective of, yeah, if this happens, could be direct winning in or has an influence on another race. Um, fascinating that there's that many storylines left in what is the longest season in NFL history that we still have drama going into the very last week. Yeah, something tells me the league wanted it that way. Oh, for sure. <laughs> they make a lot more money when it's this dramatic. Yes, they do. Uh, why don't we wrap this up and uh, we'll get out of here real quick. Uh, what are we, like two hours into this thing? So sure we don't have very many people hanging on at this point but for those of you that are still here thank you very much what do you got coming up this week on bears over beers your last bears over beers of the regular season yeah it is it's the last bears over beers of the regular season we too are olympic to the finish a little bit like the vikings um we resorted to a pizza topping draft last week because it was the giants (laughs) game and we didn't really want to talk about the Giants all that much. We talked about the Giants a little bit in their situation with the GM. How did you not do a bagel topping draft? We could have done bagel, but pizza, Chicago versus New York is a little more apples okay, to apples. Okay, um, okay. 
anyways, you can check that out. Uh, you know, it is, we're, we're tired. A lot of Bears fans, like you said, have already checked out kind of like this podcast at two hours in, you know, you lose some folks when the team is not competitive, but, uh, we're going to finish strong and do that. Um, what do you got coming up for film room? Uh, this week I got nothing. Oh, next week I'm still waiting for, uh, people to vote on the topic. So I think it's probably going to come down to, you know, what happens this week with all the craziness heading into the playoffs. I have, I'm hoping that I'll probably get to do something on Jonathan Taylor this January because I've been wanting to do Jonathan Taylor for a while, but other stuff just keeps coming up. And I've always, I've always loved Jonathan Taylor. You can go back to his time in college. He reminds me of like Arian Foster, but with, you know, jetpacks strapped to his back <laughs> yeah one of my favorite running backs in the league so hopefully i'll get to do him at some point before the season is over maybe the colts go on a mystical run and i'll have more time to do that but the sooner the better because i'm not entirely sure how far they're gonna go for sure and we get to announce the birth of something new which is pretty damn cool so we're gonna launch another channel thump 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 so we're going to make the bootleg football clips channel because this is a long form channel and the algorithm thinks everybody loves two hour content on this channel. So if we made a bunch of five or 10 minute clips, the algorithm would get really confused. So to avoid that, we're going to make a brand new channel. A lot of you have reached out. Um, some folks even reached out this last week and said, hey, I have a great idea for you and Brett. You should take small clips, little vignettes out of the podcast, clip them out and just send them out as like two, three minute, you know, highlights. And we were like, yeah, we've been wanting to do that for a long time. So we're finally going to do it. We made the channel. Uh, there'll probably be a few clips from this podcast that end up over there. We'll certainly link it uh, in the description uh, and we'll promote it on Twitter as well. But we're going to have the Shorts channel. A lot of content's going to go there leading up to draft season. Uh, we got, we should say, our credentials to both the Senior Bowl and the Shrine Bowl coming up. So the big senior all-star games, we'll be getting content from there on that. Um, anything that's in a shorter format where we're doing a sort of anywhere from two to sort of 10 minute little burst, we'll go on the Clips channel. So we can keep the small content over there. We'll keep all the bootleg football content you love here on the main channel, but we'll have both. Uh, and that'll be going live as soon as this week. So look for that. Yeah, and also now that there's no Thursday Night Football, and I'm not pressured for the almighty algorithm to get these up, you know, like as soon as I possibly can on Wednesday, I can add in like more film clips and diagrams and the clips will look all nice and pretty and, you know, well produced and that kind of stuff. So I'm excited to see where that goes. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes the way of a lot of other podcasts who kind of separate out and do different channels where the clips channels always end up doing better than the main, than the actual main show. I, I would not be shocked if that's where we get to because people... People like consuming their football content in like 10 to 12 minute bites sometimes instead of a two hour bite. But for all you truck drivers out there that listen to the show, because I know there's at least eight of you. Yeah, for sure. Don't worry. The two hour podcast will continue now and forever. Until morale improves. <laughs> so with that being said, thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, thank you to Consti, Marat, Andrew, everybody that are our, uh, our executive producers over in the Bootleg Hall of Fame. Couldn't do this without you guys. Remember to show up on Saturday at noon Pacific. We will if send you details. Top two, yep. We will we will send you details so that you could show up and and you know ask whatever you want. Hang out with us. It'll be uh, I guess you could consider it like a playoff pregame show. Sure, why not? 
whatever you want to label we'll call, it. We'll call it, it a playoff fun. pre-funk. Yeah, so that'll be this Saturday, and uh, hopefully we we'll see you guys soon. So till then, later. Take care.